Full Life family. How are you doing this morning? Are you doing okay? I'm doing great. You know, I'm so excited to be in church. Anybody else excited to be in church? I love meeting with you guys. Yeah, yeah. I love being here with you, and I love worshiping. And probably one of my most favorite things in the world for me is when we stop the music and hear you guys singing to the top of your lungs. How many know God's good this morning? How many love to sing about his goodness? Amen. He is so good. I will declare to you today, he is a good God. Can you do me one more favor? Can you help us welcome those who are watching us online today? We're so glad you've tuned in. Come on, give them, give them a good hand today. We're just so glad you've tuned in, and we, we know you've experienced the presence of God right, like we have in the room. So today, we're, we're doing th- part three of our Firm Foundation series. But before I do that, I, I just always want to challenge you with some things. I believe that God has called us to be a church that reaches our community. How many believe that? That we want to reach our community. And I was at a, a meeting Thursday night. You know, you guys heard us talk about the Jeevan School and how we, we support them monthly. It's a school in India that we support with our monthly. Your, your, your giving, your generosity makes it possible for us to support them. So I was with a group of leaders from that organization, Friends of Agape, on Thursday night and just begin to hear the vision that God has given them to reach India for Jesus. And, you know, we get to be a part of that. Aren't you glad we get to be a part of that? People who are far from God get to come to faith in Christ. And so the reason I wanted to mention that again is because one of the things that he said was that they do these prayer walks around these communities that they're believing God for. And it reminded me of our Every Neighborhood initiative that we put into place last year where we're challenging you to go in your neighborhoods and just pray around your neighborhood. Just do a prayer walk. And we have actually put together a guide for you to do that. It's, on, it's under the cross back up back here on the, my, to my right. And these guides will help guide you through that. And here's what I challenge you to do. Grab a group of people, somebody in your small group or whatever, and pray over your neighborhood. Because here's what I believe. How many of you know a lot of, the, a lot of what happens happens in the spirit realm? Amen. We are in a spiritual battle whether, you, whether we want to admit it or not. And so I believe the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God to pulling down strongholds. How many know your prayer could, could be the, the very thing that brings people in your neighborhood to Christ? And so I want to challenge you to grab one of these, do some prayer walks, and I'm believing that we're going to see a harvest. Amen. That's something that your pastor prays every morning. There's a map that we put out Monday through Friday at our 6 a.m. prayer, and I pray over every neighborhood that's within probably a five or ten mile radius of our church. And so I'm believing. How many of you believing for a harvest? Amen. Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. And so I believe that's what we're going to be. Amen. So pick that up. Also, if you'd like to take notes, we have this available for you. It's also under the cross. And then we've added something new here recently on the, on the Church Center app. The, the, today's outline is already up there. If you'd like to follow along with that and take it home and you can use it all during the week to just rehearse what we've talked about, that's a resource for you that we just made available last week. And so today's week two of that. So take advantage of that, especially if you're a note taker. You got anybody where, anybody where to hear God's word today? Anybody ready? I'm excited about this one because here's the, if you if you've just kind of new to our church and kind of just not sure why we're doing a series like this. I felt strongly back in January. The Holy Spirit spoke to me very clearly. I want you to talk to your, your church and help your church build a strong faith. And the reason we're building a strong faith is because there are people 
all over that you know that are deconstructing their faith left and right. Anybody know somebody who said, I've deconstructed my faith? And so it's become almost a, a, it's really a real problem in our culture today. And so my heart for you is that that don't happen to you, that not only do you not deconstruct your faith, no, you build a strong faith. And here's the reality. The strong faith that you have will be built on the strong foundation of God's word. How many of you love God's word? So we've been talking about this for three weeks now. In week one, here's what we said. We said, look, when you're, if you're going to build a firm foundation, you got to build it on something solid. And we said that when the rains come and when the storms blow, when, when life happens, because your, your foundation is on the word of God, it will not crumble. How many of you believe that today? And so we've declared that. And so we also saw a blueprint. We said blueprints are real important as you're building. And so a blueprint for for you to build a strong faith is found in in Psalm 119. As the psalmist gives us instruction, we know how to recite God's word. We know how to study God's word, to reflect on it, to to devour it like it's great food, like it's a great meal, like a, a great high, fine meal. And we feast on it and we obey it. And so we said that's how we build strong faith. And then we see the, the examples of, of the outcomes in Psalm 19 where our soul is revived. Anybody had your soul revived by the, God's word lately? We have this joy that comes as we're taking in God's word. We understand that we get to rejoice in his word. And we said that we get be able to have this insight, this daily insight, clear insight on how to live life. Where, where is it found? It's found in God's word. And then last week we said Jesus is the central focus of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about him. Can I get an amen today? And that you and I can have a a personal relationship with the God we offended because Christ was willing to come and redeem you, to purchase you by his own blood. Are you glad for that this morning? So today what I want to do is I want to challenge you with some, this is more of a, uh, hey, how can we trust the Bible and know that the Bible is a valid document? So I'm going to get real, kind of almost real uh, technical with you. Is that okay? Anybody like that kind of thing? And I'm I'm hoping this is going to help you build a strong faith as well because folks, here's the reality. Don't you know the, the Bible's being attacked more than ever? But here's the good news. It's always been attacked. From the history when it was first being recorded and written down, there's always been people who try to discredit it and stamp it out. But do do I have good news for you today? I have some good news. They haven't been able to. Amen? And so today I hope this encourages you. I want to remember, we're helping you build a strong faith. So go with me to Matthew chapter 24. In verse 35 it says, Heaven and earth will pass away. But what does it say? My words will never pass away. And so here's the truth of it, folks. Every word in the Scripture has been sovereignly ordained for you to be able to read. It was moved on. The men who wrote the Bible were moved on by the Holy Spirit as they wrote. And would you expect a document written by the Holy Spirit to be totally accurate? That's what you would expect. But some would say, well, there's discrepancies and all of that. And so I want to deal with a little bit of that today. And, and so some of the, the resources that I, that I drew from is uh, Pastor Chris Hodges in Church of the Highlands. He, he preached a message recently about this about two years ago. And then I, I love apologetics. Anybody else love apologetics in here? How many of you know, don't know that, what that word means? Okay, so literally it means in defense, right? So in defense of. So you're not apologizing for something. Kind of, some, the word kind of 
gives you a weird meaning there, but it's, it's really you defending your faith. And so the Bible tells us in the, in the book of Peter to, to give a, a reasonable account or a, a defense of our faith, right? And we do it in, in gentleness, right? We do it in the right spirit. And so what I want to do is I want to equip you and help you as an apologist to defend your faith. And so there are seven convincing proofs today that the Bible can be trusted. So y'all, go, y'all take this journey with me, folks, so we can find out these seven truths. Number one, the Holy Bible, the Bible is historically accurate. Now, in a, in a culture today, even some people in faith, it really troubles me because even locally, there's some, there's some pastors that are really, I, I believe, are treading on dangerous ground because they're, they're saying that some of the stories that they read in the Bible can't be, can't be true because they're so humanly impossible. But how many of you know that if you serve a sovereign God who created the universe with just his breath, miracles are possible. You know, some people say, well, I, I just don't know if, if a guy can live three days in the belly of a, of a fish. That's impossible. Humanly impossible, right? And so the same people would say, well, I don't know if I can believe the, you know, the, the book of Jonah or, or that Jonah lived. You know, they still believe in a virgin birth. Come on, somebody. Or they still believe in a resurrection from the dead. Listen, folks, all of it's impossible for me and you. But for a, a God who created everything, it's nothing. And so, folks, when you look at the, the idea that the Bible is historically accurate, even Jesus pointed to Jonah. So Jesus saw that story historically accurate because he referenced it as Jonah was in the belly of a well, so shall the Son of Man be in the grave, right? So I got a joke for you, okay? And I pray this joke doesn't offend anybody. So this girl in her school wrote a, 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 a paper, a research paper on Jonah. Well, the, the teacher was a staunch atheist, right? And so she's just mad when she's reading it. She's just mad. She asked the, the, little, the student, she said, why did you write this? How do you even know it's true? And she said, well, you know, I'm not, I'm, you know, I believe what the Bible says, but here's what I'll do. When I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah, and we'll find out. All right? And she said, well, what if he didn't go to heaven? What if he went to hell? And she said, well, you ask him. <laughs> All right. I probably should have not, I probably should not have told that one. Okay. Psalm 33, 4 says this. For the word of the Lord is right and true. Not just true, it is right. So when you look at historically what the Bible says, well, all it describes, it is a, you know, it is a history book, right? It's not just a history book, but it is a history book. It tells a story, a history, mainly of the, 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 Jews, the Israelites, right? But it is a historical book. And so you would expect it to be accurate. Now, when and we're, talking, we're talking secular people. When they look at a document to try to validify it, to give validity to it, historically, there's three things that they do. Number one, they look for eyewitness accounts, right? Were there people there who actually saw it happen and write it down? Even in a court of law, what does it say? If you, if you have a witness, 
who put, you put on the stand, who they saw it happen, you're going to trust it, aren't you? Well, think about this. Just think about, let's just think about the four Gospels, right? You have, you have different authors, right? Now, there's different elements to the story. Each one tells a different element of the story because there's a specific thing they're trying to accomplish. But how, do you know, how many of you know that they all say this? Jesus came, lived a sinless life died a cruel death on the cross, and walked out of the tomb. All of them agree that Jesus died and rose again. Amen. And here's the other thing. You know, some people say, well, you know, these guys, you know, because they all, 10 of, out of the 12 of Jesus' disciples, die, they died a martyr's death. You guys realize that? And you, and you say, well, that's not a big deal. People die for their faith all the time, right? I mean, Islam, they do that all the time. They you know, blow themselves up and all that. But here's the thing. They're, they're dying believing something's true, even though it may not be. Now, the disciples spent three and a half years with Jesus. I mean, they were with him every day. So had he been a, 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 one of these deceivers? Are y'all with me? Had he been a deceiver, and even his resurrection had been, you know, manipulated and, and, and be false, would these guys, knowing that, would they willingly die? You can die for a lie. But if you know it's a lie, I'm not dying. Are y'all with me? Does that make sense? And so these four guys, they tell the story, the gospel story, accurate. And listen, folks, this is, this is a test of validity. The eyewitness accounts of everything that happened, it's true. Amen. Here's the second one. They recorded, the, the, the scribes who recorded the, the Bible, especially like, let's say the, the first five books of the Bible. And I, I went and watched a, a video by, anybody ever heard of Josh McDowell? Josh McDowell, and here, here's so how convincing this, this, all this information is. Josh McDowell was a drunk. His dad was a drunk. And he set out specifically, his goal was to prove that Christianity was false. That was his philosophy. That was his hypothesis. In his research, it was so convincing that what he found, he became a Christian as a result of his research, folks. That's how convincing this argument is. And so he took, I watched the video, he took, he had a copy of the Torah written in the original language. And these scribes were so meticulous in writing, writing down the, the copies of, of the Old Testament, of the Torah, they would do it letter by letter. And they knew exactly how many letters should be in one line. And they would, they would do one line and they would count. And if it didn't line up, you know what they would do? They'd scrap it and start over. They meticulously wrote down every letter in the Torah. Why? Because they wanted to know. They knew. I knew. I know in their heart they would say, somebody down the road is going to try to discredit this. And I want to make sure that we salvage, we make sure, we keep intact the truth of God. Amen. Now, some people say, well, well, it's a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. That's, so we don't even have, folks, that's not true. Because every time they translate it, they go to the most, the, the oldest transcript that they have of the scriptures and they translate from that. 
So everything, it's always from the same one. And here's the cool thing. You guys familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls? Up until just a, you know, the few years ago, like it was 1948 when they found them, we had a copy, I think it was about 1,000 years old, of the, one of the original documents of the Old, of the, of the old Testament. Since then, we found the, the, old, the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls within 100 years, folks. That's pretty impressive. Now listen, I don't have time to go into all of this, but you realize that when they, do a, when they look at other documents, like the Iliad, the Odyssey, other documents they consider as historical, some of those were a thousand years after the people lived, and they still look at them as credible historicity. Are y'all with me so far? I know this is kind of technical, but folks, I'm trying to help you see that the Bible is more accurate than any other book on the planet. And it was, it was painstaking how much work they went into to preserve what the original story was. So that's the second one. The third one is this, archaeological confirmation. You realize that just about every year or every few years, people are like, well, I just don't know about this, this civilization in the Bible. I, I read about this civilization and we're not sure about it. And then they go and find artifacts. Just about a about hundred and something years ago, um, they had, they were, they were all, everybody was unsure about this group called the Hittites. You ever heard, of, you ever read in, in the Old Testament about the Hittites? And the Bible, you know, clearly talks about the Hittites, this empire. And for a long time, you know, archaeologists and, you know, people would say, well, I'm not sure if that's a, really a civilization. Well, in, in 1900, guess what they found? They did the archaeological dig and they found all of their artifacts of this empire known as the Hittites. Folks, how many of you believe the Bible's true? And so every test that you would test this historian, whatever they do, the Bible with flying colors passes all of them. Can I get an amen today? Are you glad for that? Isn't that great? So here's the second reason the Bible can be trusted. The Bible is scientifically accurate. Now, I, there, uh, any, anybody really in, into science in here? Okay, we got a few. Now, over, over time, science changes, doesn't it? I mean, let's, 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 let's face it. The things that we knew 100 years ago, we, we, some of them have evolved so much, they don't, they're obsolete now. Because we're not perfect. And we continue to make discoveries. Well, there's a place in France called, called the Louvre. They have this, this museum, basically, of three and a half miles of science books. And all of, them, all of the information in them are pretty much obsolete. And there was one that they, that they totally in particular, that they had was 51 reasons why the Bible is wrong. Right? But guess what happened? In, it was like 51 incontrovertible, I can't even pronounce the word, incontrovertible reasons the Bible is false. All 51 of them have been debunked, folks. Why? Because the God of the universe created everything we see and has a good handle on science. Would you agree? And so for, for thousands of years, people have been curious about the world we live in. And that's why we have so much study. That's why we have science, because we're curious. How many of you know God created us that way? He created us with the ability to reason and to think through things. And so 
when you look at this, this idea of science, um, it, it really is overwhelming to know how accurate the Bible is scientifically. But I want to read to you a passage of Scripture in Psalm 148, starting with verse 5. It says, let every created thing give praise to the Lord. That's what we were doing this morning. Amen? For he issued his command, and they came into being. How many of you believe God spoke and everything happened? Now listen, I don't, know about, I don't know about you, and this may, you know, you may see me in a different light, but I don't believe, I do not believe that the earth is billions of years old. What? What's wrong with you, pastor? No, I believe what the Bible says. I believe that God created everything that we see at the very moment in seven days. I believe it, seven literal days. And now listen, I'm going to get real technical here. Things do, they do adapt, okay? Like for instance, you know, a, a fish might adapt to its environment, Okay, to be able to survive. But listen, you've never, there is not one shred of evidence for a changing kind from a snake going to something else. There's not one, listen, folks, they'll, they'll try to tell you that, but there's not one shred of evidence for evolution. There's not. As a matter of fact, the fossil record gives more credence to a global flood than it does anything else. I'm going off a little bit here, but that's okay. Okay. So, when we see these ideas that have emerged over the years, for instance, for a long time, everybody believed the world was flat. Now, I, I know there's a movement now that some people are actually going back to that, and I'm like, I can't, I can't, I, you know, I can't get my mind around, I can't get my mind around that. But anyway, and some of it's because of what the Bible says, but over, the, over time, people are curious about it. Okay, it's, we, we, we think it's a sphere now. Well, for, for hundreds of years, we, we, we kind of asked that question. But you know the Bible talks about it. Isaiah 40, 40.22 says this. He sits in a throne above the, what does it say? Circle of the earth. And its people are like grasshopper. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live. Listen, if you go back to the original language, that word circle means sphere. It's the same word we get the word globe. So all they had to do from the get-go was go where? Why don't we just ask God? He created it. Amen? Now listen, if you want to do further study in that, go to the, there's, a, there's a website called Answers in Genesis. These guys, smart, way smarter than me, have done these studies. They do angles and all that kind of stuff. And it, there's, there's solid evidence for a, a globe around earth, okay? I know some people are trying to promote the, the earth is flat. Okay, here's another one. The earth has to be held up. Years and years and years, thousands of years, people believed that the earth was having to be held up. Right? The Greeks believed it was, anybody know who it was? Atlas, holding it up. The, the Hindus believed that it was an elephant on top of a turtle, on top of a snake. And he would, they would just, I'm, this, these are theories, right? Thousands of year old theories. And then the Egyptians, 
Now, think about this for a minute. The Egyptians were pretty smart. Would you agree? Anybody ever been to Egypt? Anybody ever took a look at the pyramids? Is your mind blown? How old these pyramids are and how advanced that technology was to build those suckers? And think about this. Moses grew up how? As an Egyptian. He was trained in Egyptian schools. And here's what the Egyptians believed about holding up the earth. They believed it was held up by five pillars. Now, would you almost expect that if that was something that had been really ingrained in Moses, because you know Moses wrote the first five books, right? The Torah. Wouldn't you see it kind of creep in? Did it? Not even close. But God, in his wisdom, gave inspiration to a man named Job in the oldest book of the Bible. And here's what it says. Job 26, 7. He spreads out the northern skies where? Over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. Folks, Job knew that God was holding it up. Of course, we know gravity. We know all of that. But it's suspended in nothing. From nothing, God created and suspended all the planets. Amen? All we got to do is ask. The Bible knows, right? How did Job know? The Holy Spirit showed him, right? What about this? The number of stars could be counted. <laughs> there was, some, there was a, uh, astronomer, Hipparchus, in 150 B.C. He, he actually tried to count the stars. And he came up with 1,022. And then about, I guess about 100 years later, a guy named Ptolemy said, no, 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 you're wrong. There's 1,026. <laughs> Folks, how many of you know? I mean, they, they, they take shots at it. One, one shot is 200 billion trillion. I don't think they got them all, do you? Where do we look? Jeremiah 33, 22. I will make the descendants of my servant and the Levites who minister before me as countless as the stars in the sky and as measureless as the sands. You think the Bible knows what it's talking about, folks? Here's another one. Years ago, they believed too much blood would make you sick, right? And this hasn't been very long ago, right? This is like, like 200 and something years ago. They believed that there were several things in your body, bile and, and different fluids that made you sick. They, weren't, they didn't even really realize about contagions and, and bacteria and all that. They didn't have microscopes back then. So they would, they would actually bleed people because they thought blood was bad. You know our first president died from that? Anybody know what it was called, what they called it? Bloodletting, yeah, I heard it. So they would literally cut you and drain your blood out. So they did that to, to George Washington over and over again, and he died because of loss of blood. <laughs> now we know, no, if they're sick, what do we do? We don't take blood from them, what do we do? We give them blood transfusions. Why? Because here's what the Bible says. Leviticus 17, 11 says, For the life of the body is where? 
and it's blood, folks. Why don't we just ask the Bible? Why don't we just ask God when we're curious about something? Just maybe we, not, we might avoid some mistakes and some mess-ups. George Washington might have lived how many ever, years later had we just looked to the, to the Bible. Is this helping anybody today? The idea of quarantining. So, you know, the bubonic plague was devastating. You, you think COVID was bad? The bubonic plague wiped out 25% of Europe. Amen? And they didn't realize, they didn't know that it was contagious. That if they would just stay away from each other, or they didn't know to wear masks, whatever, whatever it would help them keep from getting the disease, they could stay alive. Well, all they had to do was Ask who? Ask God. So you realize in the Old Testament, Leviticus, let's read it together. Hold on a minute. The priest will do what? Will quarantine the person, how long? Seven days. In other words, there's some insight there. There might be something that if you're around people, just might spread. So you see how the Bible is scientifically accurate. And so here's what I say. The words of the Lord are flawless. How many of you agree about that? God's word is flawless. Everybody say flawless. Okay, here's the third one. The Bible is prophetically accurate. There's over a thousand prophecies in the Bible 300 alone are about Jesus. That's pretty amazing, right? How many you know he fulfilled every one of them? Now, if you've ever studied probability, that's, that's mind-blowing. Because there was a guy named, uh, his name was Dr. Stoner. And he did a probability study about the prophecies of Jesus. And he said, you know, if, if Jesus just was able to fulfill eight of them, it would be like one to the 17th power. That's a lot of zeros, right? Like, I don't know if they have it. Yeah, you see that? Look at all those zeros. So the probability of that happening, think about it this way. If I had that many silver dollars and I had to have somewhere to store them, I would fill up the whole state of Texas two feet high. Anybody ever been to Texas? It's pretty big, isn't it? So picture that. That many silver dollars spread out all over Texas, two feet high, and I take you and put you in a plane or a helicopter, and we drop you down over this and say, hey, there's one particular silver dollar we put a, a red dot on. I need you to find it. That's the probability of just eight of the prophecies concerning Jesus being fulfilled. And the, the larger you go, you can see 16, 10 to the 45th, 48, 10 to the 100. That's a lot of zeros. Are y'all with me? Now, some of them have not been fulfilled yet because what's happening in the book of Revelation, there's a promise. But listen, given the, the Bible's track record, would you not want to be on the right side of those prophecies? Amen? All right. The Bible 
is accurate. As a matter of fact, here's what Peter said. For prophecy never had its origins in the human will. But prophets, though human, what do they do? Spoke from God as they were carried along by who? The Holy Spirit. Every word, every letter of the Bible was written through the hands of men by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Are you passionate about God's word today? Do you love his word? If you do, come on, give him praise this morning. Amen. Jesus said this. He said, but this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets. And we read this last week that it's recorded in Scripture. Jesus recognized the Old Testament testified of him and everything that would happen. So the Holy Spirit guided every prophecy, and I promise you he's going to make sure that it comes to pass. Amen? Here's the, the fourth one. The Bible is thematically unified. We, we talked about this last week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. 66 different books, 1,600 years, right? 40 different authors, 10 civilizations, three continents, three languages, and one unified story. Amen. Number five. The Bible, we said this earlier, the Bible was trusted by Jesus. Matthew 5, 18. For truly I tell you that heaven and earth disappeared, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. How many of you know that he's going to see it through to the end? Are you glad for that today? Number six, the Bible has survived attacks. Why has the Bible been attacked so much? Because it's true. And what it does is when people read it, it holds them accountable. They have to admit there's a God, number one, who created everything. who It belongs to him, right? It's all his. And then we have to be responsible to him. Guess what? There's a lot of people don't want to be responsible to anybody, much less God. And so when they think about the Bible, if they can discredit it and, and, and believe, even themselves be convinced it's not true, guess what? They don't have to be responsible to God. But folks, how many know that's dangerous? Thousands of years of attack. It's still the best-selling book on the planet. Voltaire said this. Here's what Voltaire said. Within a hundred years, the Bible will be forgotten. Here's the funniest thing. So when Voltaire died, the French Bible Society bought his house. <laughs> Guess what they started doing? Producing Bibles. First Peter 1, for all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and flowers fall, but the word of the Lord, what? How long? So here's my question to you. Will you attack God's word or will you live by it? Will you destruct it? Or will you defend it? 
Will you follow the world or will you follow the word? You're an old-fashioned preacher, aren't you, pastor? No, I'm not. I believe in the word of God. Amen. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Come on, somebody. Help me preach this morning. I tell you, whether we like it or not, whether we like it or not. Anybody have a, a physical Bible with them today? Hold it up. Let me, have, let me see it. I should have brought mine in here. Whether you believe it or not, this book, when you, long after you're gone, will stand. Amen? This book is, from Genesis to Revelation, the Word of God. Come on, somebody. I will, I will preach it till the day I die. And I don't care. I know people are more and more hostile toward it. Maybe they might just have to put me in jail. I don't care. I believe this book. Amen. Amen. Thank you. As we're closing, folks. This is the most compelling one. The Bible has life-changing power. There's some people in this room who can testify to that. Listen, folks, I'm a testimony to that. My life is not the same as it was when I first came to Jesus. Amen? And it is because I have made reading God's Word, listening to God's Word, reciting God's Word, obeying God's Word, a lifestyle. And I'm telling you, it's not just another book. It will transform your life if you will submit to it. Amen. As a matter of fact, Jesus, yeah, go ahead and give him praise. Amen. Jesus said this. Jesus said this. To the Jews who have believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Now watch this. You will know the truth and what happens. The truth will set you free. We were, we were in our, our life group this past Wednesday and we actually read this verse. And here's what we, we, we really just kind of leaned on is when you understand this idea of knowing the truth, we all go to, to, we all go to information and knowledge, don't we? Is that what you think about? Can I give you a different take? That word know is all about relationship. So it's not knowing, it's knowing. And it's, what does it say you know? You know the, come on help me folks, it's not rocket science. You know the truth. Who is the truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. In other words, it's not knowing information. It's not knowing, you know, 100 verses or 200 verses. No, it's knowing the God of the Bible. It's knowing Jesus Christ personally, the one who came, lived a sinless life, died a cruel death on the cross, and walked out of the tomb for you. And what it is, listen, it's an invitation to relationship. It's not an invitation to religion. Religion kills but a relationship transforms. And that's exactly what the entire Bible is saying to you. Here is the invitation. Yes, you messed up. Yes, you have a past. We all have one, don't we? The beauty of the gospel is, as we read last week, the vilest of sinners 
can go, come to God in faith and be transformed. That's the power of the Bible, folks. Can I get an amen today? So, in closing, what's your, what's your response today? I, I realize I got, I, I got kind of technical. and Was that okay? Did it help anybody? Um, but ultimately, it's about transformation. Because all those facts that I gave you will not transform you. They won't. They'll help you have a, a better understanding of, of how valid God's Word is. But the truth is, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the, the power of cr the cross that transforms you. And where do we get that understanding of the cross? From the Bible, right? So what's your response? Number one, understand there is overwhelming evidence, amen, that the Bible can be trusted. It can be. Number two, let's continue to build our lives on the trustworthy foundation of God's Word. And this is the most compelling one. In the world that's deconstructing their faith, what are you going to do? Say it loud. Everybody say it. Let's defend our faith with what? Confidence. Thank you for joining us for this week's service. We pray that God has used this moment to greatly impact your life. We invite you to live fully alive in Christ with us here at Full Life Church. We'll see you next week.